My name is Maya Deary. This interview with longboard surfer Andrea Cabuasa is the first in a series called Waves to Wisdom. The project is a simple one. I seek out people I admire, surfers with what look to me to be ocean-centered wisdom practices, ask them if they'd be willing to share a surf session or two, and then after we ride some waves together, talk to me about their oceanic habits, surfing, work, love, meaning, anything else that comes up. Andrea was generous enough to agree to two surf sessions in Malibu, the Eden of modern surfing if ever there was one. The sessions we shared were a little bit terrifying but magical. The interview was even better. Welcome to Waves to Wisdom. Andrea Cabuasa and I've, I'm uh, 47 and I've been surfing, I don't know, about, I don't know, was that 15, 14, 15 years, something like that. And we are in Malibu, mm -hmm. um, right next to the beach, and we surfed this morning a, a building swell. Mm -hmm. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> and uh, I don't have a lot of experience with big crowds. And it was, unsurprisingly, yeah. well-populated. It's a beautiful wave. You've been surfing Malibu for most of your time as a surfer, or did it take you a few years to get there? Yeah, I've been surfing there maybe about 12, 12 or 13 years. Quite a, yeah, for quite a while. How long did it take you to get comfortable with the crowds? Oh, I accepted it right off the bat. Right away. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you were a full-grown adult when you started surfing. Yes, I was. What uh, What <laughs> led you to take it up? That was something I, I had thought about when I was a child. And uh, I remember watching surfers. Our aunts, our, my aunt used to take us to the beach, and I would see the surfers. And I, I do remember saying, I want to do that one day. So, you know, fast forward through life and all kinds of stuff. And I had one of these uh, epiphanies kind of deals where I questioned what I wanted to do. And I realized I could do anything I wanted. What do I want to do? And I went to sleep. And then when I woke up, surfing came to mind. As Andrea shared her story with me, of course, I couldn't help but look for overlap in our oceanic autobiographies. Like me, she'd had a childhood desire to surf. She made her living in that moment as a teacher and had a story whose plot was woven of the warp of loss and weft of waves. It was my 40th birthday that had prompted me to finally get aboard in the water, and now, 10 years later, I was somewhere in the process of dealing with my own loss, my first really, truly, devastatingly broken heart. It was the end of an ill-advised love that had turned out, inevitably, to not be what I'd wished it was, an obvious failure to see clearly. But now I could do almost anything I wanted, and what I wanted was, among other things, to surf with and listen well to Andrea, and to bring what I knew would be wise words to someone else who might need them more than I did. I got up and went surfing. I, I told my mom I was going to go surfing, because I was living with my mom then, and she basically said, go, that's great. Beautiful. So that helped a lot, because okay. if she would have said, ah, don't do that, don't waste your time, I probably wouldn't have done it. But um, her initial instinctual positive reaction. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that then. Good mom. <laughs> yeah. And so did you take a lesson? Yeah, I took a lesson and uh, 
Yeah, fell in love right away. Tell me about those two instructors. Yeah, or, yeah, Those yeah. first few lessons. Those first few lessons, those started off on land, right? Me, me having this epiphany that I really, I'm a grown-up. <laughs> I can, I'm not a kid, I'm a grown-up, and now I'm free after leaving a pretty bad relationship and getting the courage to leave because it was abusive, so mentally and everything. So having the courage to do that and, you know, licking my wounds at my mom, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, you know, it, I, it, something happened where I just realized, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm free and I really can do whatever the hell I want to do. That realization was, was a huge deal. And then from there, it just basically went to, okay, so what do I want to do? I had no idea. I just went to sleep with that. And I was like, what do I want to do with my life? I can do anything I want. And then when I woke up, it was basically surfing. So I, I, I went back to that childhood where I remember saying, I want to do that one day. You know, it always goes back to that, which is interesting. I told my mom, I want to go surfing. And her response helped me so much because it was like you could see like she was really excited like yeah go surfing in her mind that was great that was cool go do that which helped a lot and so I went and took a surf lesson and the first guy was like a what I would you know because I didn't know anything about surfing but he it was a stereotypic surfer dude surfer talk surfer everything and it was great you know I learned how to surf I mean I stood up on a board that that was the thing I stood up on the board I might have stood up on the board twice or something and I was out there for about an hour and a half. It was fun, a lot of fun. I remember standing up, but I can't remember much else out of that because I was so engulfed with the act of trying to do this. But I do remember driving home, I was really happy. I literally, literally forgot what that felt like. Like I had no, I no longer had the concept of what happiness actually feels like. And it, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, you got your kids, they make you happy. You got your friends, they make you happy. You got your loved one. I'm talking like happy where that I used to have when I was a little kid. And it's like pure happiness of just doing what you're doing. Just, just not connected to anything, anybody, not worrying about, oh, this will make this person proud of me. Or it wasn't, it was just like pure, cool feeling. Um, and that's what I remember. And that was my drive home from, from my first surf lesson. And then it lasted for about a half hour and there was bumper to bumper traffic. And then I kind of got back in that mode. But then I was this, as I was driving, I do remember like, wow, that, I was really happy. That really felt really good. So of course I went back and got more surf lessons. But this time I went back up to the beach and somebody basically said, oh, you know what? You should have him give you a surf lesson. And so it was this one surfer guy who was very effeminate, totally non-stereotype of what you think a surfer would be, very talkative, very kind. And, um, I, you know, it was perfect for me, very um, welcoming. Yeah, so I took lessons with him, and he gave me really good tips. You know, he showed confidence in me and helped me buy my first surfboard. And, and that was it. And after that, it was like, well, I'm not doing anything else because I'm like a half hour happiness every day is fantastic. You know, like I'd still go back into my post-trauma stuff that you go through sometimes when you go through, go through some stuff and put yourself in positions where you're like, why the hell did I put myself in that position? <laughs> yes, I know this question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, 
on a daily basis of getting a little bit of jolt of happiness, a little bit of jolt of happiness, slowly before you know it, you're like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I feel pretty good. Because that was that connection, this pure happiness was connected to surfing. That, you know, that was a constant while I was trying to put my life back together, basically, you know. It saved my life, really. I mean, that's how I, that's how I view surfing. Surfing basically saved my life because I was such in a, you know, a really bad space, really bad space. Who knows? Who knows, you know. I could have either continued my spiral of making self-destructive decisions or not, you know, and I was headed in this spiral of constant self-destructive decisions where surfing kind of went, kind of turned that a little bit for me. And, um, you know, that's where that truth thing comes, where, you know, when now, you know, you're questioning why you're in this position. And, you know, my, my mode has shifted from being a victim. Why is this always happening to me? Why is this always happening to me? And to, to solutions focus, you know, like, okay, this happened, but basically taking ownership that it happened and seeing if I can make things better for myself, you know. It was all tied to this feeling of being happy, you know. I didn't know that back, back then, but that, that was my anchor. Well, it didn't have nothing to do with how good or bad I was. It was just 30 minutes. The act of surfing is, I was so engulfed in that act that, you know, I don't have time to think, like, I'm happy. It was more like, oh, my muscles are sore, but it feels good. And Wow, that was awesome. Wow, that dolphin was so cool that popped up. You know, like all these random things would happen, like seals and dolphins and seaweed and sunsets and all these little things that, you know, I never noticed before. You know, I never noticed it. I never noticed the sunset. I never noticed the wind. I never noticed the, you know, nine, you know, okay, this is about six knots. There'll be texture on the, you know, all these things that were tied to nature. It was like, um, it just, it just woke me up to something other than the consequences of living in a concrete society brings you. And everybody's affected by it in some kind of way. And, you know, from that point on, it really just became a battle. It still is for me. Uh, Basically, it's always a battle about trying to get back to the ocean trying to get back to the ocean and trying to get back. It's like constant, like, oh, my God, this is getting too much. I got to get back. <laughs> but that was good. I felt lucky to have that one instructor, and he was really good. He was really good. Was that instructor for you that he didn't fit the stereotype? Yeah, because I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Although the grace and skill of her surfing were in a different universe than mine, Andrea's story was built of steps I think I know well from my own. As a college instructor for the last decade and a half, my time surfing has dissolved so many artificial barriers I'd constructed for myself, particularly in my identity as a teacher of art and photography. There were barriers that initially stood between the subject I thought was the reason I was there and the clear objective of an education, the ability to craft a better life for yourself, your community, and your loved ones. Barriers that put a false gap between my own art practice and teaching and between work and play. Andrea's take was instructive. You were in your early 30s then, but that was not the first uh, way that you had oriented your life around physical activity. You have a background as an athlete, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, you know, I don't know, my mom, she just never, she really hated uh, 
stereotypes or roles that you had to follow. Mm -hmm. And so what we could do that was neutral is activities, sports. and So lots of sports, you know, lots of outdoor play kind of stuff. And so that started really young. And she got us swimming right away. It was all about keeping us active and keeping us, uh, trying to keep us from being too gender oriented in terms of toys and what, what you're supposed to do. So that was really good, you know. Your mom was and probably still is a powerful influence. For me, yeah, she yeah. is. <laughs> you started in San Diego but found Malibu rel relatively quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I'm getting ready to turn 32 and um, was basically coming back home to kind of lick my wounds after a pretty uh, horrendous long-term relationship. Clearly, you seem strong and healthy and happy, and yeah. so you made it out of that rough patch. Yeah, for sure. Can you talk about the ways that you think surfing influenced you? Yeah, that, that, that started the healing immediately. I mean, I think just being near the water, just being by the beach actually automatically helps. It helps anybody. You know, I've never really seen children fighting at the beach, ever. I have yet to see that. My opinion is the hustle and bustle of, of city life, of trying to survive, um, just takes a toll on you. And, you know, it doesn't help making bad decisions in your life. But overall, it's just the concrete lifestyle <laughs> causes you to be blocked in. But then you do that, you're blocked in so much that it's just, you don't know that there is anything else. It's like when people fall in love with hiking and, or fall in love with some kind of activity that gets you outdoors. You know, it, it kind of just kind of breaks up the concrete. And so surfing did that for me. For me, it's like a frame of mind, you know. So I just feel lucky to, to have stumbled on it. Absolutely. So. I, I share that feeling that yeah. <laughs> of being very lucky. So you are a teacher yourself. Yeah. I'm a teacher. And you teach special ed now? I teach special education now, yep. Full-time in Los Angeles? Full-time in Los Angeles County. Did you start teaching after or before you started surfing? I started teaching after. Is there a story that you could tell about being a special education teacher in which surfing or some of these lessons of truth or presence or something that you got from surfing, you can identify that that with helped me in this moment with this student or this administrator or this form or, you know, any part of your, yeah. your job and the challenges that you have. You know, as far as teaching, it just, your frame of mind changes the longer you surf. And so that helps with working with kids because change is inevitable. Problems are always going to arise. But, you know, that mentality of going with the flow or hanging loose actually applies in surfing, even though it's a stereotype. It's a cliche, but... Um, that helped. Without directly arguing with me, Andrea pointed out how much surfing requires you to retrain your instincts. A fearful person by nature, surfing has been a stern taskmaster in delivering some nuanced lessons to me about how much there is to fear from avoidant behavior. For me, it's all about the kids, you know. And these kids are all outside of the boxing thinkers. And uh, put it put it mildly, nothing goes as planned. You can totally plan out a lesson and have it broken down and really think like, ah, this is the lesson of all lessons. These kids will really get it. And then they'll throw a monkey wrench <laughs> in you. But then, you know, 
you just go with it. Like that's that that's the key, you know. Like I'm sure many people have said this, but you know, every wave is completely different. Every single wave, even Malibu, every wave is completely different. The difference between last night and and today, for example, is a good example. But the one constant thing is change. Like the wave is moving. There might be bumps in the wave. The next wave is different. Constant change. The conditions are changing. Everything is just constantly changing. And to have the best session, you have to be okay with the change that, that, that presents itself. In terms of teaching, especially teaching special education, there's a parallel there because we're going to be changing left, <laughs> left and right, and you got to be able to go with it. And you got to go with it in a, with a fun attitude, you know. And so I tell, like, assistants that come in, I was like, look, you have to be okay with change, and you have to be okay with things going as planned. Nine out of your ten ideas are probably not going to work out, but that one that does is going to be great. You know, I could surf for an hour and maybe catch two waves, but those two are going to be good. Surfing opens up your creative spirit and your creative mind, and teaching requires that you be creative for you to connect to the kids, especially kids with special needs. You, you know, to unlock them, you, you know, you got to show them that you're passionate about what you're doing and, and that you can see them. And surfing is, you know, it's funny. You can you, you paddle into a wave and try to remember if you've ever noticed the wave. Like, have you really looked at it? Like, when you're catching that wave and then you wipe out, I was like, did I even see the wave or was I just riding the wave, you know? That little change of reference where it's like, okay, I'm going to just, as I'm surfing, my goal is just to see the wave. Let's just look at it as it's moving. If you do that with students, wow, it, things just change, you know? And if you do that with surfing, it's just like, wow, I'm really looking at the way, like, you know, it's, I used to play these games with myself when I was surfing, it was just like, okay, I, I don't remember this wave, I just rode it. I don't remember what it looked like. I, I, I remember what it looked like right when it was coming and I was about to take off, but now the wave is over. I don't think I even looked at it, you know? <laughs> and so then it became like, oh, I'm going to try to look at this wave. And then when you look at it, you're just like, oh, my gosh, I have so much time in the world. But when you don't look at it, it's like, oh! <laughs> and that's how it is with kids, you know? Like, if you take your time to really look at it and not worry about your lesson plan and just really zone in on on the kids, then, then your lesson kind of ends up uh, coming, like, naturally which helps. So interesting. I, I don't understand quantum physics at all, and it's very dangerous to try to draw metaphors from science, but, you know, there's the, the act of obs observation changes the thing observed, oh, and yeah. that's absolutely oh my true of both surfing and teaching, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When you get those few moments where you actually are aware that you're truly watching that, like, wow, that way I watched that whole wave, um, man, you end up realizing, hmm, I have plenty of time. <laughs> there's plenty of time and sometimes people are like how did you do that I was like well there's plenty of time <laughs> but um, yeah that that's fun it's so hard to do there's so many things there's so many things that you could do with surfing at Malibu specifically the challenge is when people are going to get in front of you which they are the challenge is can you not just zone in like an attack dog on this person? You're in my wave, you're in my wave, and it's my wave, it's my wave. Are you able to say, huh, 
let me cut back and see what I can do cutting back. You know, like, are you able to see something else? Those are fun challenges for me. Like, oh, that's, that's kind of, I like to think about it in those terms. This is a story that I've heard many times just mm -hmm. talking to my friends. You mm -hmm. start out because it's fun and you get this rush and you mm -hmm. feel good. Um, and then it turns into something much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Somehow the ride, um, uh, it's almost analogous to a text that you can consult to mm -hmm. sort of develop these priorities and inform the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it um, you know, it, for me, it became my, it became everything. Surfing became my everything. It's, you know, my religion, my peace of mind, my ego checker, my, you know, my happiness meter. It's, it's really everything for me. But that doesn't mean that I'm like a surf rat and I'm only hanging at the beach all day. It's just the surfing frame of mind extends outside of the actual act of surfing. Surfing is all about... Um you know, facing your fears. I remember being in that position where it was like a huge wall of wave coming at you, and you know that that white water's coming next. At that point, you have a decision to make, like, or you cannot make a decision and just be stuck there. And, and a lot of surfers just get stuck, like, <laughs> but I realized if you if you go right at it, it always ends up better. It always has ended up better for me when I face that wall and I basically, I'm scared shitless, but I'm still like paddle straight to it, paddle straight to it. And I paddle straight to it and you make, you make it through, you know? And you look back at the people who froze and you're, they're just a hot mess back there. Just like, whoo, <laughs> I gotta remember to keep doing that. <laughs> oh, so, so but good. you know, facing your fears, you know, I've, I've had some really huge waves coming my way where you would, you know, be frozen and just, and I have been frozen a few times. And, you know, like I said, near-death experience occurs as a result. <laughs> it's one of those things where you just got to go. You got to go for it. I'm a novice at interviewing, and I hated to interrupt Andrea, but the audio quality had gotten distracting even to my newbie ears. We spent a delightful quarter of an hour winding up canyon roads looking for a quiet nook to continue. Now, for the first time in our talk... We no longer had a direct view of the ocean, but I could still smell it. What I didn't know when I conducted this interview is that in the long months it would take me to understand how I could edit and offer it with integrity, the most contentious, divisive, and for me personally frightening presidential election of my life would unfold. As I listened to Andrea's perceptive words about all that Malibu had to offer, I learned something altogether visceral about what these people I was seeking out and their ocean-centered practice had to teach me. What about learning to navigate the, what to me are just mind-blowing uh, concentrations of people pedaling for a yeah. single wave that you find in Malibu. Oh yeah, it definitely gets real crowded. Um, you know, it never bothered me right from the beginning, so. And that's like a frame of, frame of mind. I, I try to look at it in terms of, you're just in a different city. You know, so Malibu is like the New York City of, of surf spots and that in terms of the crowd factor. But, you know, New York City has its, if you grew up there, it has its, it has its way for you to get around. Yeah, you have choices to make in life, you know. Like in Malibu, people have choices. They don't have to get all uptight and freak out by the crowd. You don't, that's not, that doesn't have to be the only option. You know, there's so much to learn from, from others, too, from the crowd. You know, how to maneuver, how to kick out 
how to strategize. I learned how to read the waves a lot better so I could, I could spot out waves that maybe, you know, a lot of people can't spot out because they're too preoccupied by everybody else around them that, that they stop seeing what's, what's there. It seems like there aren't any sense of rules there, but there, you know, there is something there. You have to settle down enough to be able to see it. I find myself telling people that, just settle down. If you can't settle down, then maybe Malibu, maybe not for you, but I think if you look at it in terms of there's something here that I can learn, and you can, you know, yeah, that's for me, that being able to maneuver, being able to do important cutbacks and all these things that would probably take you years if you were by yourself, because at Malibu, you have to do that for your safety and the safety of others, so you end up um, paying attention a lot more. And you're also paying attention to other people. In order to have a good time, you have to be aware of what's going on. And if you're in a surf spot where you're by yourself, which is also fantastic, I'm not saying that's not because it is fantastic, you know, you're not learning that as fast. And if you come from a place that's like that, you get to Malibu and you're just kind of like, holy crap, this is just crazy, unreal. But if you can manage to get one wave, it makes it all worth it at Malibu because that wave is so incredible. It's like, shoot, that's a, that's a great wave. It's a great it's wave. It's an incredible wave. Yeah, yeah. if you can get one. <laughs> so long, if you can get one. Like every endeavor, surfing has its tropes, its characters and stereotypes. In my own mind, this contemporary culture offers, among others, the lone male, feeling at one with nature, a contemporary wanderer above a sea of mists, resentful of others' intrusion, or the aggressively territorial local, feeling like his home is just that, home, and slashing the tires, or worse, of the tourist with enough hubris to dare to do something equivalent to just letting herself into the living room without knocking, taking up diminishing space in the increasingly crowded waves. I'm not one of the usual suspects at my home break in North Carolina. There are a few middle-aged women, but we are not the norm. Still, it's a laid-back place with something of what I like to think of as southern wave hospitality. This was my first real surf expedition to California, and I was afraid, particularly in the somewhat delicate emotional state of lingering grief, of encountering West Coast localism, a feeling of not being wanted, a woman of a certain age who no longer has a role in the tribe. Malibu did precisely what Andrea said it does. It made me pay more careful attention to other people, to see them for who they are, not who I expect them to be. This iconic, most crowded of all surf breaks on the U.S. mainland both taught and surprised me. The very thing that I think you are describing happened to me today, mm -hmm. twice. Mm -hmm. um, I have, you know, we all walk around with assumptions built into us and categories in our mm -hmm. head. And I've definitely got the man who uh, knows how to surf and this is his home break category. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. him stereotyped and, yeah, I, yeah. and I'm, in my head, I, I know what's going to happen if I get in his way. Yeah. yeah. But twice today, yeah. there were men who had the wave. Yeah. And I backed off. And both times they came back and said, you didn't have to back off of that wave. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And one of them, was his name Miko? Is yeah. that him? Yeah, Miko. Yeah. He was, he came up and he's, you know, basically said, I missed you. I tell people I have abandonment issues. Don't leave <laughs> yeah. me alone on a wave again. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. And I thought, oh, this is so interesting. Yeah. This yeah, place he, has things he, to teach me. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. You get the whole spectrum. And, you know, I'm not saying there aren't the other spectrum out there, but... Sure. Well, the whole point is not to let the stereotypes yeah, determine get to you. how yeah, you're sure. going to react to that guy yeah, on that way. For sure. And, you know, people do recognize when you're trying not to get in their way, too. They some You know, there's that little etiquette there in Malibu where they appreciate that you're doing that. 
we had a conversation about Andrea's surfboard that only an aficionado could love, a design she had made for herself by surfboard shaper Tyler Ezekian. The women she cites as the first female surfers in Malibu were among the first American women who surfed, but in ancient Hawaii, surfing was practiced equally and expertly by both sexes. So the board that you were riding mm -hmm. when we were out there is mm -hmm. called a Malibu chip. It's it based off the Malibu it's chip. It's based off the Malibu yeah, chip. So. Uh, it was designed in and around the 50s, early 50s. It was the first board that was made a lot narrower. And interestingly enough, for some of the board shapers of that time, women started surfing during that time. And so uh, in their minds, they were thinking, let me make something a little lighter and a little more manageable for the women that are surfing right around the pre-Gidget era. And then the guys realized, you know, they'd borrow their girlfriend's surfboard and realize, wow, this board's kind of fun. And it got accepted as not just a chick board, but so that, that to me, that's interesting. You know, I'm at the point in my surfing where it's like I'm becoming more interested in board design. wasn't in a rush to go short. started surfing when I was 32. I, I, I could see transitioning to shortboard maybe by now. But you have to remember I'm 15 years old in terms of surf years. You know, so I'm still, I'm still a grom and I'm still like, there's still a lot for me to learn. And just changing my longboard board designs makes a big difference. So then, so I figure, you know, let me go back in time where there was a really important shift in longboards and then work my way back up to, you know, to when I started surfing. So I got this, this board made. Um, a phenomenal shaper who was influenced by Lance Carson, who surfed Malibu. And so this might be the closest connection. Lance Carson was highly influenced by Dora. And so that's why I chose uh, Tyler to make the board for me. And... Uh, Today was the first day I got it on some good, good Malibu wave. For anybody out there who doesn't know the archetypal tale of Malibu, it was the epicenter of the first modern American surfing boom. In the 1950s, creative surfers found new uses for World War II-inspired technological innovations. They made lighter boards and wetsuits. The increased freedom of movement afforded by cars and spending money meant more surfers were riding Malibu's perfect point break. And then in 1959, when the movie Gidget came out, the hordes descended and we really haven't stopped coming since. But something happened in the mid-60s. Boards got shorter and performance-oriented surfers redefined wave perfection. For a time, Malibu wasn't as cool as it had been. But times change, longboards are back. And people like me are forever seeking a few days of Malibu perfection. Andrea cited two particularly well-known surfers from Malibu's golden age. Lance Carson, known for his gravity-defying nose rides, and Mickey Dora, surfing's most enigmatic, charismatic, and famous outlaw. Andrea wasn't just interested in the ride, but wanted a craftsperson and a narrative to enchant her board with meaning and history. She chose a shaper who knew the history of the place and was interested in picking up where one thread of it, the golden age of American longboarding, had been interrupted. It was a kind of conservatism that built on nostalgia, but was something still real and profoundly relevant. This resonated deeply in November of 2016. There's something you said that I want to go back and make sure I heard, because this is such an exciting concept to me. It sounds like you're trying to experience the history of your place, which is Malibu. Maybe that is in it. A, in a different way just than you would way. if you just read about it. Yeah. Or, yeah, that's definitely true. I'm definitely trying to, I'm just trying to figure it out through board, board design. 
So Tyler, he's just a phenomenal surfer, and he's been shaping since he was a kid. From his perspective, the idea of longboarding kept evolving. At a certain point, that evolution kind of halted and actually almost died because shortboard took over. And so there was, there was a stop right here. And so he, in his mind, is he wanted to continue that evolution. So he, he was, you know, he, his perspective of shaping longboards is from that perspective of trying to continue that evolution based on this history. And because I'm so interested in longboarding, um, much more than shortboarding for some reason, you know, I, I like to move around and I like to move my feet and I like to... Um, I don't like to be stagnant. I like to feel like I'm walking on water. I really want to learn the style in which you had to surf in order to surf these surfboards, which has been very, very interesting. I'm learning quite a bit, you know, learning quite a bit. Could we talk about the background in team sports mm -hmm. and the transition to surfing and what happened along the way? Sports and athletic stuff did everything, at least from my mom's perspective. <laughs> uh, she was going to freaking make sure that we were going to be independent women that could take care of ourselves. You know, and sports became that, that thing. But I played basketball. That was my first love of one sport. Well, actually, I had a lot of different loves. But basketball became the thing in terms of when I got to be middle school and high school where it's like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do this for my whole life. And... What's great about team sports is you're in this together and you're, uh, you know, you're part of a larger group and, and that translates well to corporate America or to, to jobs and stuff. People like to know that you're a team player and all that. But the, one, of the, one of the things that, um, that to me, just for me, my own personal view about team sports or just competitive play is that the whole point of what you're doing is actually to beat somebody else you know to beat down somebody else to beat them and ultimately that other person who you beat they do feel bad because I felt bad when I would lose and and um I was all in that you know and you work as hard as you can to prepare to beat the other team it's always about conquering somebody else or something else to to get that trophy or to feel like, you know, you're the one. So that mentality requires, you know, first of all, you got to be all in and you got to be so into this team, whatever the mascot is that you like, you're willing to like go to all, all lengths to, to get that. But that, you know, it's a very aggressive way to think about, um, physical fitness. It's a very aggressive approach. And what surfing did for me was it gave me that, um, that desire to improve and to compete, but I'm not competing to beat somebody else. I'm, I'm trying to improve myself. It was all, always about self-improving rather than, you know, I'm going to get them. And that's what I really liked about sport. It helped, surfing helped me transition because for some athletes, it takes many years to transition away. And, you know, you always hear about athletes that should have retired 10 years before their time. And, that, and that's because it's so hard to to make that shift when you give your life to something. And surfing, you know, allows you to do that without having, without having this beating thing <laughs> that I can't stand. I mean, there are parts of surfing that are like that. There's competitions, and, and I'm not saying that I haven't done them, but I'm, I struggle at those competitions where before, you know, I was known to, for, like, 
I'm the one that's going to come through at, at the game. You know, when it counts, I'll be there. Where now in competition, it's kind of like, uh, it just doesn't go for go with surfing for me. Surfing helped me get away from that, you know, and not necessarily feel like that's the only way to be to be physical. I'm getting my personal goals met and my sense of like I want to continually improve and get better, and um, and it helps subside this this aggression that comes from competitive sports, you know, like I used to go play all over LA, you know, you're the only female there. It's like, I got next. Yes, I'm playing, you know, and you, you know, you have to really <laughs> be aggressive to get even an opportunity to play. Um, surfing, you don't have to do any of that. So it helped me to kind of put that down when I stopped playing college basketball. This observation from a Malibu surfer was amazing to me. In my mind, we're discussing a break where there are as many people competing for waves as any other scarce resource you can imagine. And yet this woman's practice in this most populated of all waves was all about healing from the ill effects of an emphasis on competition. Clearly, I had and have a lot to learn. You know, I can compare myself to other people, but not necessarily compete. Because everybody out there has such a different style that you you basically appreciate other people's style. It's not one of those things where it's like, I don't know if you can be the best surfer in the world. Some people say the best surfer is someone who's having most fun. You know, I personally think the best surfer is the one that's continually opening to gro for growth. Like I'm having the best time, continually learn learning. You know. And did the shift from competitive physical activity, mm -hmm. as you say, um, to this different kind of physical activity, did that inform or influence any other parts of your life, do you think? Yeah, because, you, you know, you still, the thing about competitive sports is you, st you have to have high expectations. That's a good thing, you know. So I still continue to have high expectations for myself. I'm still going to go all in. But with the surfing, there's a truthful aspect. So I have high expectations for myself in terms of being truthful to myself, which surfing, surfing brought along. Like this idea of truth. How, how are you truthful? There's so many different ways you can be truthful. Like my goal is to always be, try to be truthful. And truth, truth is painful. <laughs> so Oftentimes. How do, so how do you be, how, how can you be truthful but also kind? and also thankful and you know all these terms all these things all these words that I never really thought about started to come into play with surfing and shoot surfing you know it was easy to have an ego with basketball because you know I can beat you I can beat anybody you know but with surfing the minute that you have an ego and think you got this you know uh, Mother Nature will let you know very quickly that you're just a little peon. You're not even a peon. You're just a little molecule. You may not even be a molecule. You're smaller than a molecule because <laughs> that's happened many times. You know, you on a small day you seem you assume everything is no big deal and you take a casual and then you cut your foot. Or on a on a big day and you think, oh, I I can get this wave and you're held down underwater and you almost drown. It's it, it's always there's always reminders that. Uh, <laughs> You can't have an ego. You got to come into it very humble. You You're know. not in charge. Not in charge <laughs> whatsoever. No. Not in charge whatsoever. Okay, you said something really interesting, and I think I know what you mean, but I don't want to make any assumptions. Mm -hmm. You talked about the connection between truthfulness 
and surfing. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? I haven't had those egotistical moments in a while, but I'm sure they'll come because I'm human. But those egotistical moments when you think that you know more or that this is your space, not everybody else to share, those moments where you're very ego-driven um, and you think that's the truth, that's the truth, this is who you are. The ocean puts you in your place and it makes you accept the fact that no, you're not as grandiose as you think you are. So you're talking about some kind of capital T truth uh, in which, you know, you are part of a larger whole. Part of a larger you whole. you have to get right with that. Exactly. And then that translates in just other things. Then it becomes about, you know, this word truth. Then you're always constantly trying to understand what that means, you know, and being truthful to yourself. And then that translates, you know, are my boundaries being pushed? Is this really what I want to do? Is this making me feel good? And then you start making decisions in your life that that lead you into trying to investigate what is this thing called truth? You know, not necessarily you telling everybody the truth and hurting somebody's feelings. You're telling yourself the truth about who you are and, and what you are. That that has translated from surfing, you know. So it's like, what am I okay with, you know, um... You know, I, I I made a conscious decision to unplug. You know, like I, you know, Facebook technology—it's pretty much, pretty much hard to reach me. But that was like a conscious decision because I was recognizing, for me, it was capitalizing too much of my time, and now my time becomes is valuable because of surfing. It's like, oh hell no! I want to use all my time for creative purposes, and then surfing is a big creative option so I don't want to waste that so so it's just being truthful to my own boundaries and my own sense of self and also kind of learning how to put my ego in check from being you know from being an elite athlete I don't know if this gets added or not but there was I started to say this to you in the water but um, we talked a little bit yesterday. We were lucky enough to surf last night when it was kind of crazy and mixed up and then surfing mm -hmm. in this morning when mm -hmm. it was a lot bigger mm -hmm. and more mm -hmm. typically classic Malibu. Yeah. And each had its challenges for me. Oh, for sure. As I was sort of reflecting on our time yesterday uh, when I was uh, trying to go to sleep but too excited to sleep last yeah. night. Uh, I had this moment where I was thinking about you being a Division One college athlete. Yeah. And I told you the story that, you know, I, w I loved athletics mm -hmm. until I got to junior high when you had to try out. Try out, And yeah. then I couldn't make the team. Yeah. We had these two really quite diverse experiences in this one place, but together. And both times mm -hmm. you would turn to me with a big smile and say, mm -hmm. this looks like a good one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I just am very aware of and grateful for the way that surfing can bring people who are very different from one another yeah, yeah. in terms of their experience or ability, yeah. bring us together in this sort of mutual appreciation of one another. Yeah. Um, and there is a way that you can appreciate one another's truth. Like you, you, yeah, you right. can For get sure. into the authentic experience of someone else mastering something that they haven't done, even though it's not at an elite level, and they may never be at an elite level, yeah. but it's not about that. It really isn't really about that. You know, surfing is not... Well, for me, because, you know, it is for other people, sure. so I can't really speak for everybody. But for me, it's, uh, surfing is an experience. And if you take a growth approach and, and a learning approach, we're both learning. We may be at different places 
but we're, it's really the same place. We're both trying to, to um, access this amazing energy. You know, it's just, there isn't really, for me, there, there isn't a hierarchy. Of course, you see great surfers like, oh, I envy that, and I want to do that. But I know now that you can do that, you know. You can do that if you put your whole energy into it and you study and it's a, and you treat surfing as a discipline, as something where you're actually truly, if you, if you embrace it, you don't have to do that way, but if you choose to embrace surfing as a, as a holistic discipline, you can, you can pretty much get to just about anywhere. Like I was telling you before, it's just little steps. Surfing allows you to keep opening more little boxes, you know. And you just keep opening, keep opening, keep opening, and you know, eventually you have you have these days. It's almost like a nirvana. Like you have like these days where everything just connects, and you know, time stands still, and everything's in slow motion, and you just you truly are just totally in sync with whatever energy is out there in the waves. Those are very few and far in between, but if you continue to have this growth mentality, every blue moon you're going to have these days where it's just like, wow, I truly was dancing with the ocean. I was truly connected to something other than myself. And so that's what I shoot for. I'm always shooting for that. I'm always like thinking, oh man, when those days come, they're so far in between, but when those days are there and you can feel it, it's the best. It's the best feeling best feeling. It's like meditation. It's like that requires that you truly think about it in all aspects, you know, which is cool. I like, I like that. I like those surprises that come like that. When you say you think about it in all aspects, what, what do you mean all aspects? I mean, you, you think about it when you're in the water and when you're out of the water. You, you know, surfing gives you this, um, this frame of reference. I mean, you think about it. You're like in the ocean for that hour and a half. If your mind is right, you know, if your mind is right, because you have to be okay with people around you. But for that hour and a half, you are literally not thinking about anything else but this movement of water that, you know, people say have traveled thousands of miles. And it requires that you think about the present to get the most out of this wave, too. <laughs> Doing that and trying to do that outside of surfing is good practice, you know. Or, you know, what is required to truly be in sync with, with the ocean? Also, you know, you got to think about your body. You got to think about your intake. You got to think about stretching. And I want to be as fluid as the water is fluid. So it's like, oh, wow, you know, I'm able to do some stretching now that I wasn't able to do when I was in college. Because when I was in college, stretching was just like, uh, you know, I want to hurry up and play this game and beat this team. Where now it's like when I'm stretching, I'm thinking about, this will facilitate another box to be open. Also, um, the aggressive, angry side of all of us um, is definitely putting that in check is directly related to surfing for me. Over time, I've had less ugh, about other people, you know? Like, I don't know, just recognizing that, that kind of stuff is kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Is it fair to say that you think surfing's helped you be a better person? Definitely. It, yeah, it has. I mean, it just depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> I mean, if you're talking to my partner, there's been some adjustments there, you know, because I think it's helped me to be a better person to be around. 
Uh, for sure. If I've gone too long without surfing, then my partner is basically like, you need to go surfing. <laughs> I need you back, right? Go surfing. I'll see you later. <laughs> um, it, you know, it just depends. Because, you know, the other side of it is, um, yeah, it, it, it can appear to be a pretty selfish act, you know, too. It's not all kumbaya. I mean, um, but like I said, it depends on what kind of surfer you are. I tend to prefer surfing on my own and learning and doing these things, but a lot of people prefer the camaraderie in surfing is fun too, you know. And I don't really see that me as surfing on my own because I, I know some of, these, some of these people out there, so we just talk out there and have a good time, you know. So Not just out there, but on the way in, people yeah. are excited to see you coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, we had a good time. <laughs> yeah. it was a good, we had a good surf. Yeah, we got lucky today. We always say that, too. It's like every day we go out, oh, we got lucky today. A lot of lucky days at Malibu. <laughs> a lot of lucky days. Yeah. Even if it's like a terrible day, it's like, oh, it was pretty fun. Still lucky. Didn't expect much, and I got something. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes low standards are the key to a happy life. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. You and I both have an, a background of some sort in visual art, mm-hmm. although I cheat with a camera because I can't draw at all. But, <laughs> uh, but the you know the the art world is just as much uh, bound by our concrete mentality as every other mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. and so there is this you know the same factors: the domination, the competition, mm-hmm. um, the production mentality. Oh, yeah. Can yeah. you talk about the way that surfing has altered your life as a creator or yeah. informed your life as a creator? I don't want to say I'm a painter, even though I got my master's in painting, because I, I, I've evolved in terms of how I think of myself. I, I'm just a creative person. I like to create. I like to make things. And uh, surfing has allowed me to make sure I follow my muse. You know, it's made me feel okay with with the way in which I choose to create. You know, up until surfing, you always had like, ah, oh, God, I'm irresponsible. I'm not enjoy. I don't want to do this gallery hopping and I don't want to do this I never really wanted to do any of that like I and that felt irresponsible it, well somebody would say well do you have you know you haven't your work up and I was like nah I don't <laughs> you know but um you know surfing there is a form of art I don't know what you call it where it really is about well performance art is similar to that but they videotape themselves so that they can document but surfing is an art form and it could be why I, I love longboarding as well, because for me, it was about dancing and moving and using the board to to help me feel as if I'm walking on water, but in a very kind of more of a dance performance. Now I think I'm switching. I'm not switching, but I'm now using these going back in time, which is allowing me to kind of figure out um, the wave in a different way. But it's still a form of dance to me, a, a creative act. But it's a creative act that, one, for the most part, you won't remember as soon as you kick out. You just will feel it. And two, definitely nobody else is going to see it. You know, So it's, as soon as you do it, it disappears. It's one of those things where as soon as, as soon as you create, it disappears. The only thing you can do is feel that it, that was incredibly, that felt incredibly creative and it felt incredibly beautiful. You know, like I was telling, you know, I, I suffered from low self-esteem and... Um, you know, there are times when I'm surfing that I feel so, I feel like a just incredibly beautiful woman. And be, I've never, you know, like, oh, shut up. Uh, you know, I'm usually like, I can't handle compliments. I'm con- you know, in, in, 
outside of the surf setting, but for me to feel like, ah, I really felt beautiful. Like I felt like a beautiful, I feel beautiful. I feel just as beautiful as the wave, you know, like I, I, I enjoy having that feeling. And, um, that has been, um, that's been very interesting for me. And then I enjoy beauty when I see beautiful surfers, you know, it's like all of it is creative. All of it is artistic. I've been making work in the ocean, you know, and so it's hard to, you know, I've, I'm still painting here and there and I draw and I make things. I create, I, I create, basically I'm creating. Uh, and I'd like to think I'm trying to create um, something that makes you feel good, you know, where before it was always about the drama and downtrodden and you know where now it's more like I just want to create things that I just want to do or I want to create things that are tied to my goals I'd love to make some furniture or I'd like to I'd like to I'd like to do this act on the wave and I'm just going to paint it and see what happens you know I've had quite a few instances where I paint or draw something that I dream of of seeing and then it comes to fruition, and I was just like, holy shit. Okay, then. I'm going to be painting my dreams all the time. You that know? is a superpower. It's like, let's <laughs> yeah. paint our dream. Like, what Talk is that? Talk about visualization. Like, okay, what's my yeah. heaven like? Let me paint my heaven. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I go through periods where I'm not actually actively painting, but I'm creating. I'm painting on water. And so you can't really see it. It's just kind of like, well... It's for myself. <laughs> I'm doing it for myself. It's like I don't really have a, you know, I don't have a sense of urgency that, that I need the attention. Surfing seems to give one, if if I can generalize yeah. from my experience, a different yardstick yeah. for beauty, too. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I mean, you, suddenly all of the things that you, or even your heroes, were capable of creating yeah. are not in the same category as what the ocean creates over and over and over again. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's like... Um, yeah, shoot. I mean, you can't, I couldn't even, you know, there's no comparison. There's absolutely no comparison. No comparison. It, it, to turn oneself, and I've never thought about this before, but, but to allow yourself to, to shift from sort of the, um, the conceit of being the creator to being a, a grateful member of the audience. Yeah when the ocean is the creator is oh, definitely definitely and 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 those and the day my best days are the days where i'm in sync with it when i feel in sync with it <sighs> shit now those days last i mean i end up dreaming about those days like when i have those days when i'm like totally in sync and for some reason all the best waves just you know I don't know if they're all the best ways, but they're all the best ways for me. And I'm in sync. Man, shoot. I'm as happy as a clam for weeks. And, you know, I still have my, I have my, I have my memories. You know, I can go back in time and say, oh, let, let me just go back and dream about that. <laughs> Remember that day when I was able to do that? And it just felt so, you know, I, I, I am able to rewind them you know, in my mind, and then they start adding up, and it's just like, oh, I'll just go from this one to that one, it's just kind of like, and I feel good, it makes me feel good, it makes me feel good, and then, and then, uh, days like today are really fun, too, on those, 
rare occasions where everybody has aloha and stoke and everybody's happy. Oh, you go. No, you go. <laughs> I got it. Yo, that was a great wave. Those don't happen all the time either, you know. But this morning was one of those days where it was like the right kind, the, the right amount of aloha stoke was there. Right amount of people were there. So is there anything else that you would want? I mean, if you, if you can imagine your, um, you know, the ideal audience member for this, and I don't have an audience yet, mm -hmm. so far it's just me, <laughs> but is there anything else that you would want that person to hear, um, yeah. that you would want to share with that person? Because that's what, this project is really supposed to be, um, me trying to find a way to share all of this wisdom that I feel like I get exposed to in certain other surfers. Here's the thing. I recognize that um, surfing for me is a state of mind. It's just a state of mind. The ocean is a major part of this globe. It's like 70 something, 78 percent, and it's increasing because now global warming, we're getting more ocean, which I think is probably good. Maybe the earth is trying to cleanse us of this human madness. <laughs> but surfing is a frame of mind. You don't have to actually be in the water to be a surfer. like. You could get that same surfing experience hiking. You can get that same surfing experience in, in other forms. It just happens to be surfing for me. But you talk to other people who are in different activities that's outdoor related, entrenched in some form of nature, and you get surfing. You get the surfing thing. I'm a water person, so the, I'm not saying that the ocean isn't strong. It's hella strong. But if you're somebody that is so far removed from it that there is no access to it, there's access to this feeling of feeling of nature and hearing and listening to the birds and paying attention to things, you know, in your backyard. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, that's you know, surfing allowed me to to and to look and see what's around me, you know, like, oh, there is wilderness in the city. I never saw it because I never paid attention to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, so, so surfing could be anything and it doesn't have to be standing up on the board. It could be boogie boarding. It could be building sandcastles. It's not the end all to be all. It, um, it's the f frame of mind that you get from surfing, which is really about being in nature with no concrete in front of you. <laughs> um, I would challenge the, that notion that it, it can only be in surfing because I, I don't believe it, can, it has to. You know, if you drive up to the mountains or if you, you know, go to some of these national parks, you quickly recognize that Oh, I feel good today, and it didn't. You didn't. We weren't anywhere near the water, and that was because you were in and amongst um, amazing stuff. You know, amazing stuff. It's amazing out here. You know, it's 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 beautiful, and sometimes L.A. is is tricky, especially this time of year. You don't see the stars, but you do have opportunities, like after it rains, <laughs> or certain t certain specific times. You can find little pockets of time where you where you notice it. So I would say that I would say, um, you know, I'm blessed and I feel lucky that I stumbled onto surfing, and it's provided me a lot of joy. And now I know, 
at first, when I first started surfing, I did worry. I was like, oh, my God, if something happens to me and I can't surf, I'm going to die. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I do recognize now that if I was forced to step away from the act of surfing, I would still be able to find some joy in the mentality of surfing. And that's, that's the thing that, you know, that aloha spirit that the Hawaiians talk about is not just in the ocean. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that when that day comes where I actually literally cannot physically surf, that, um, and then I'll be in a quest for another thing, another surfing. Eloquent, powerful, and so generous. Thank you very much <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for all of that. I do feel right. like I've ridden a few waves to wisdom okay. today. <laughs> for more interviews, to see photographs resulting from my own ocean-based practice, and to learn about our surf-centered retreats, visit wavestowisdom.com.